Stronger than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The noble submariner drifts on the deep to be buried in the sea. The neighbor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep. Hello and welcome to another episode of FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And this is another installment of the Find Your Joy shows, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, of course, kind of our mantra. And joining me are Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin, the Nightcast Boys. Hi, guys. Hello. Ahoy. Ahoy, yeah. Ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, this is a Find Your Joy episode, and that is, of course where we go back into the archives and, and go dig up something that we really love, that we want to talk about, something that we find our joy in. But in this case, uh, I'm kind of calling the shot uh, ahead of time because I decided to do a Find Your Joy uh, for a book I hadn't read yet. Uh, but I was pretty confident that I was going to enjoy this because this particular comic, Marvel Snapshots Number 1, Submariner, is by one of my favorite writers of all time, Alan Brennert, writing his first comic book in 20 years. So I was pretty confident that I could call this a Find Your Joy episode, even before I read a single panel, because I knew I was going to enjoy this. So Ryan and Chris, I appreciate you joining me here. And we haven't really talked about what you, what you think of the story. We'll get to it in a moment, but I hope you both really enjoyed it, because otherwise this, this Find Your Joy title isn't really going to work. <laughs> I, I am always up for Alan Brenner. I am I am not at the uh, I, I am not at the pledge level that you are, Rob. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably like right below. So uh, I've not met the man and had lunch with him like you have. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm a huge fan, and he's written. He, he wrote my single favorite comic of all of time. All time, right? Right. Brave the Bold, one eighty two. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, I, I I was pretty confident that anyone who reads this was going to enjoy it. And and I you mentioned the lunch. I should say that, yeah, when I was out in California in June, I was fortunate enough to have lunch with Alan. And that was when he told me the details of this comic book that he was working on. And it was it was just obviously uh, talking to Alan, which, of course, I'll be doing in this episode later on, uh, is a joy and all by itself. But it was also great because I got to sit across from him at the Cheesecake Factory and he started telling me about this story and his eyes lit up like a little kid telling me this story. And it was the kind of face you make when you were a little kid and you're like playing with your toys and you're coming up with all, you know, I'm going to get my Darth Vader and he's going to meet Miss Superman. And it's going to, he had that kind of enthusiasm, which is of course, incredibly infectious. So it was, it was a real joy to hear the sort of bare bones plot of this thing uh, from the man himself. And then he, that was the moment he told me that Jerry Ordway was the artist on this. And good Lord, I can't think of a better artist to find for a 1940s set story than Jerry Ordway. I mean, that's just the perfect combination. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, I, it this is just, uh, this is one of those dream team comics. It's like, you just got to buy it, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. So, uh, the last Alan Brenner comic book was guardian from Batman Gotham Knights number 10 way back in 2000. So he has not written a comic book in 20 years. Uh, but uh, so obviously this is all very exciting to read this for the first time. And, you know, I mean, I knew Chris, I knew I wanted to have you on because, as you said, he, Alan Brenner wrote your favorite comic book of all time. And, Ryan, you were the one that forced us to read Marvel Comics number one for our anniversary last year. So I figured I should subject you to a Submariner story. I remember everybody kind of universally loving that idea and sort of like that was like a group crowdsource thing. But, uh, hmm. but yeah, I don't really remember I, it like I, that. 
I'm still kind of hung up on it. Like you had this meeting with like Alan Brenner told you all about this at a strip club. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's what that's what the cheese cheesecake factory is, right? Yes, that's what I've always we, that's what we, we yes, we stopped and got a whole bunch of singles. It was a very very fun afternoon. It was good. very fun to hear about uh, the all winner squad while there's a woman giving a lap dance. It was really a singular experience. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I. I, I was excited to, to talk about this one too, and I have done a previous episode of Find Your Joy on a Submariner comic because Namor is one, has always been one of my favorite Marvel heroes. Um, that was back in December 2018, so over a year ago now. Um, but also, Alan Brenner didn't write necessarily my favorite comic of all time, but certainly a comic that had a lot to do with my intro into blogging and then podcasting. Because, Rob, as you remember, he wrote The Secret Origin of Black Canary in the final issue go. of Secret Origins, yeah. um, which I covered on my blog. And then that was a big part of uh, the Secret Origins podcast. So, yeah, I've always I've always been a fan of his his writing and everything just since that, because that was such a, a formative story when I read and when I decided to do to, to you know, commit to this character, which sort of introduced me into the fire and water community, sort of so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, Alan Brennard is definitely in the DNA of the Fire and Water Podcast Network in a bunch of different ways. So, yeah, it's very, very rewarding to finally get my hands on this book. It's just very exciting. So let's jump right into it. Let's get into the plot. Uh, the story is called Reunion. It is, of course, by Alan Brennard, Jerry Ordway, Travis Lanham, and Espen Grundajern. I hope I'm saying that right. And there's a bunch of va- uh, variant covers. Do you, yeah. Which ones do you guys like the most? I, I like the the. There's one that's by Jack Kirby that's a pinup from uh, Fantastic Four, like the old Marvel Gallery. That that one's cool. But I actually like the Jerry Ordway one. That's that's used the old. Uh, it uses the old uh, Submariner comics trade dress from the from the 40s, and uh, you know it's it's kind of got that slightly distressed look mm-hmm. to the color and and especially the background. There's like watermarks in the yellow mm-hmm. sky background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like that's as much as I love Alex Ross, I actually prefer the uh the Jerry Ordway cover on this one. Brian, what about you? Um I yeah, I, I like a lot of the covers. I think I think my favorite one might be the Alex Ross one and it's not just because it's Alex Ross. I just style this sort of uh, tabloid idea of it. I mean, it, it kind of harkens back to the original Marvel's covers a little bit, but not really. But I, I think once you see all of them, uh, like in this kind of design, this style for the Marvel snapshots, I think it's going to be a really cool kind of uh, shared kind of aesthetic. So I really just kind of like that one. That's super close up of, of Submariner's face. But I also, I really like the Ordway one too. That's really, that one is also really, really good. Yeah. I didn't even really think about that. Of course. Yeah. This harkens back to the Marvel series, which is what these are spinoffs of in the first place. And so, yeah, then, then Alex, Alex Ross, they're all really very, very quite handsome. So uh, it's just that it makes for a nice, a nice uh, package. I actually picked copies of this up at a comic store today. And uh, one was the Alex Ross and the other was, what was the name of that other artist? It's Gabriel Del Otto. Um, okay. Yeah. Those are the two I got. I, I actually, I think my Ordway, the Ordway one is my favorite too. Uh, and I would have gotten that one had I seen it, but I'll have to try and find that at another store because I will be getting more copies of this, which we will be talking about shortly. So, all right, let's jump right into the plot of this. Uh, the story opens in the spring of 1946, where the Dean family, Betty and her brothers Frank, Jimmy and Lloyd, all veterans of World War II, are sitting down for a slice of, 
slice of cake and toast uh, and toast commemorating that they made it all back home from the war. Betty's brothers chide her about her relationship with the superhero known as Namor, the Submariner. With Namor scheduled to head back to Europe with the all-winter squad the next day to help with reconstruction, Betty has plans to take the King of Atlantis out for a day of fun. The next day, Namor arrives, and Betty takes him to Palisades Park across the river in New Jersey. Naturally, Namor finds it hard to relax and just enjoying some harmless fun until they get to a pool, which allows him to strip down to his trunks and dive into the water, drenching everyone in sight, including Betty. Namor is thrown when he hears some gunshots and flashes back to a moment he had on the battlefield. Betty reassures him that it's just a shooting gallery. They then move on to another booth, a grocery pitch, where whoever knocks down a pyramid of milk bottles wins a bag of groceries. Namor finds this no challenge at all and wins bags and bags of food, which he then hands out to a nearby family. Betty, moments ago mad at Namor for the water gag, remembers why she feels so much for this man. Then more gunfire rings out, this time real gunfire. Namor and Betty investigate and see a bizarre-looking character named Veril Shark in the middle of a robbery. Namor deals with Veril's henchmen, then takes a swipe at the bad guy's suit of armor. Underneath the chest plate, Namor sees a swastika, driving Namor into a fury. He begins thrashing Shark around, causing massive damage to the park, while Betty carries off the injured. Betty tries to yell to Namor that the park will be destroyed, and possibly innocents will get hurt if this pitched battle continues, but Namor is too enraged to pay attention. Betty then makes a phone call to the DA's office, who have a line into the other members of the all-winner squad. Within moments, the speedster The Wizard arrives, carrying people to safety. He is soon followed by Captain America, Bucky, Human Torch, Toro, Miss America, who then fan out. While Captain Torch trying to subdue Namor, Miss America grabs the shark and lifts him high in the air. She drops him into the river, thinking that will stop his rampage, only for Namor to underline that this guy's name is The Shark. Namor tosses the shark through the Palisades Park sign and is ready to kill him. Human Torch stands between them, causing Namor to have a flashback to the horrors he saw in the concentration camp known as Bitburg. The wizard grabs Varel and hands him over to the police, while Betty confronts a crying Namor. When Betty suggests, like her brother is now doing, that Namor could talk to someone about dealing with his traumatic memories, Namor gets offended and flies off. Betty yells after him, but to no avail. Miss America dons her civilian clothes and takes Betty out for a drink and quietly suggests to her that Namor is Namor and the quiet domestic life she envisions with him will probably never happen. So she should continue her relationship with him, but with her eyes open. She then gives Betty her card and says if she ever wants to call just to talk, she will always answer. She also insists Betty call her not Miss America or even Madeline, but Madge. Back at the house, Betty talks to her brother Lloyd, who seems in a better frame of mind now that he has reached out to someone to help him with his trauma. He says it helps to talk. Betty agrees and heads out to go visit Madge. All right. So, Chris, what did you think of this comic? Oh, I thought it was great. I mean, it's uh, it's Alan Brennert. Uh, he's, he's just one of the best at uh, taking what's there, what's in the comics, but examining it in a way that you've never, that you've, you've never seen done before. I mean, this is clearly said in World War II. It all, I mean, at post-World War II, it feels like that, that period to a point, but I mean, it, none, of the, none of the characters are out of character. I mean, they're not, you know, it's, 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 it's telling a mature story with these characters without, you know, running these characters through the mud or, or changing the characters to suit that story. Uh, everything that's in this comic could have happened in between panels in a Submariner comic back in the at time or all winter squad. So, uh, yeah, I just, I thought it was fantastic. And I mean, of course it's got a very poignant message for, for today as well as, as then. And, uh, 
yeah, I just I just thought it was – and it's beautiful because it's Jerry Orway. I, I, I loved it. <laughs> Brian, what about you? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, obviously – I it, saw it that was... coming. I knew that was going to be your answer. <laughs> it was terrific. I mean, everything that Chris said, I mean, you can you could expect that just based on the talent involved. When you got a writer of Alan Brenner's quality and a, a an artist of Jerry Ordway's caliber, it's like, of course, this is going to be a stellar book. Um, it, yeah, it is very good. And to me, like this was, this was exceptionally fun because just last 4th of July, uh, Jerry Ordway also did a one shot Captain America and the Invader story, right. um, where it was, uh, it was written by Roy Thomas and drawn by Jerry Ordway. So it was then, you know, and those guys know something about this period, um, and bringing it back to this level, but actually drawing like the Marvel heroes. And, and that story was, you know, kind of a, a story of, Captain America, the Human Torch, and Namor kind of teaming up on a mission before they had officially met in continuity uh, to save uh, uh, Roosevelt or something. Um, really good story. So when I saw like Brenner was coming back to these same characters, like the All Winter Squad, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, these guys just feel natural, kind of writing in this one. Um, but yeah, I was, I mean, knowing, knowing that Brenner was writing this, I knew that it was going to be more than a superficial story. I knew that he would he would hook onto one particular theme. And I was intrigued that he went with post-traumatic stress disorder because, and it, like with what they call shell shock and everything, because that is certainly something that a lot of people are talking about more and more, uh, especially with soldiers returning from the wars and stuff like that. And and I had heard about it, and it, it's becoming talked about and and more open and more public all the time. It still could be more so. I mean, it, we we could still deal with it a little bit better than we are, but. What was I found really interesting was that I have never really seen it talked about or discussed or dramatized for World War Two. Mm-hmm. It seems like all the the you know the issues that I've seen like uh, like in depictions of this, it's related to Vietnam, maybe Korea, but certainly Vietnam and and more recent wars, uh, Desert Storm, and certainly like the 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 more recent wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. But it's certainly, I mean, there there still seems to be this sheen, this rosy-colored sheen over World War II as, you know, the greatest war with the greatest generation. And, and like, they, they don't really talk about the negative consequences of that other than the, the horrific acts with the Holocaust and stuff. So to actually see him tackle an issue like PTSD with these characters in this war, I found it interesting because I was like, I don't, I didn't know how often like people actually talked about this or, or what families would actually do to address this when people are drinking more because of this and their hands are shaking and they're quick to violence as Namor is, who we never thought he needed an excuse for that, but now they're kind of <laughs> making an excuse for that. So yeah, I, I just thought it was a fascinating story and an interesting hook that he set up for it. Yeah, one of the things that Alan and I discuss in our in our interview, which will be played at the end of the show, is the idea that, I mean, Namor, uh, of all the characters that you would not think would have some sort of inner monologue, it's Namor. Because Namor just seems sort of so simple, is that it's just, he's kind of this regal guy, and then you piss him <coughs> off, and then he's just kind of this regal guy, and then you piss him off, and all of a sudden it's Imperius Rex! You know, I mean, and that's it. Like, he kind of has two gears. But I like him here. First of all, I love him in his civilian garb. With yeah. the red and black shirt, like and the little collar and the the the, the tan the khakis, he looks really fun. And he gets in the car with Betty. It's fun to see him as like a regular guy, kind of, uh, and be sort of you know sort of just regular Joe. And then of course we immediately get into the whole idea that just in the last couple of years, Betty has noticed that she's aged 
and Namor has not. And she's getting a reminder that they probably aren't really going to be able to have a traditional relationship because Namor, he mentions that his father lived to be like 600 years old. And so right then and there, she's already – the melancholy is setting in kind of the – and forgive using this term, but the glow of the war, uh, you know, that excitement is wearing off. And now it's like, well, geez, am I really going to – is she going to be get, get to be with this guy? Probably not because she's living a normal human lifespan and his lifespan does not work like that. So that already has kind of the sadness in it. And that's that's something that I always like about Alan's work is that all of his stories are always about something else. They are not just about the plot. They always are about some other theme lurking within the characters. And then something else, too, that I like about what he does, and this is I like virtually all his stories, is that he doesn't break the toys. Uh, his characters are put through the ringer in a lot of ways, but they end up coming out a little better uh, than how they went in. Uh, and, and I always appreciate that as opposed to kind of like deconstructing them or whatever. It's no, everybody's, you know, Namor certainly doesn't quite uh, take in the lessons that he should when he, you know, can angrily decides, I, I don't need to talk to anybody and he flies off. But Betty comes out of the story a lot wiser and so does her brother and stuff. And of course, uh, Miss America is there to help her out. So, and, and I always thought that stuff is great. So this was within a couple of pages. I was like, oh yeah, I'm back in this gear with, with Alan Brennan writing uh, these kinds of th- these stories again, and it was just a real delight. And of course, being brought uh, to life by Jerry Ordway, I mean, it's just he makes this world so utterly real, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the amount of detail he puts into this and how lived in this world looks like it, this looks like what I imagine the 1940s really looked like. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's the, 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 the amount of just uh, you know, we know Jerry or uh, Jerry Ordway nails this period from from all-star squadron all the way Mm -hmm. back and i mean that was i mean guys that was almost 40 years ago i mean that's hard to imagine that all-star squadron was almost 40 years ago but he's not he hasn't missed a beat i mean this looks (coughs) just as good this looks just as good if not better than anything he ever did in all-star squadron and and that's amazing i mean as an artist that's that's just just amazing especially the level of craft that, that Jerry Ordway puts in every single panel. And yeah, I loved his look for Namor. I'm glad that he, his Namor's, you know, more humanoid. He didn't go for the triangle head that, you know, they actually <laughs> threw the, the comics back then. But, uh, I, I did notice one little fun. There's little fun things like when Namor and Betty are walking into the, into the park, you see this kid in this like ball cap and his dad, and he's pointing at Namor. And you could even take it as like, he either recognizes him as, as Namor, or he's just like, hey, that guy's got pointed ears, you know, uh, just just little fun things like that. But uh, the thing you brought up about Betty and the and the uh, you know realizing that she's aging and you know she's had to cover up some of the gray in her hair, that took me right back to my beloved Raven the Bold number one eighty two with the Earth mm-hmm. two Batwoman, mm-hmm. who like you know now she's confronted with this younger Earth one Batman, and her Batman's dead, and you know, but he was you know he, she. You know, she was in love with him, and then he all of a sudden, you know, stopped returning, you know, his the flirtations because he got married. And so, so you know, it's kind of the same thing here. You know, she's – Alan Brennert was always great about dealing with, with aging, something that comic book superheroes usually didn't really have to deal with unless it was like some extreme – like, oh, they – there's some ray made them age overnight or something. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, this is like real, real aging as people grow older. So that was just another – uh, human touch that he that he added to the story. 
Yeah, I think this this it's marvelous. Yeah, Ordway his art is really yeah the the art by Ordway like really I mean he captures everything from the the raw just emotion on the character's face from Betty's especially um, and Namor's but also just as Chris was saying like some of the details within the park in the world and I had never heard of Palisades Park and like as soon as I read this I I looked it up and I was like oh there's a novel called Palisades Park written by Alan Brannert. I was like, mm-hmm. interesting. I wonder, I wonder if it was his idea to, to bring this in. And then, uh, and then it turns out maybe Kurt Busiek lure, dropped that line to kind of lure Brenner into Yeah, to <laughs> yeah. he definitely baited so. the hook for Alan there. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> I also love uh, the I love the comedy beats of this story for, for how grim this story gets. Because, I mean, we have literal shots of the Holocaust in this comic. There are some great comedy beats. I mean, and I love the way Ordway and Brenner pace them. And we're, I love where Miss America grabs the shark and dunks him into the water and she's all proud of herself and she's like, he won't put up much of a fight. And Namor just looks at her and he's like, he calls himself the shark. And she's like, yeah. Oh. And the look on her face, she's like, oops. You know, I love that. I like that Namor is actually kind of playing into it a little. Like, he could yell at her. He could be like, fool, what did you do? But instead he's just like, he calls himself the shark. He's like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. And I love that Ordway manages to make this absurd costume kind of look creepy because it's a giant like Baron Karza costume with a shark head which is really terrifying in its own goofy way and and I I mean it's first of all it's a great costume because it it kind of seems like something that would come out of that era out of that mm-hmm. period and everything even though it's an original thing because when when Namor actually like rips the the costume open at the end and you see what uh, Veril shark looks like which is what he looked like in the golden age I realized how similar he kind of looks to the Green Lantern shark villain, like originally, like with this weird little face that I think Gil Kane designed. And I'm wondering if Gil Kane based that guy on this guy, because like, hmm. with like the weird wide mouth and like the pointed nose that kind of looks like a shark thing. It's, I don't know. I, I saw some similarities there and I just thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. The guy runs the suit like it's Pacific Rim. Like he's just <laughs> this tiny little guy. Uh, inside this mega armor, and yeah, he's he's like very cartoony looking, but again, Orway manages to pull it off. And I, uh, we we're talking about the art. I really should again mention the colors by uh, Espen Grundichern. I hope I'm again. I hope I'm saying that right. They're really beautiful. They're really. I love the the monochromatic uh, tones of the flashbacks. And then later on, when uh, when Miss America and Betty are talking, it's clearly later on in the day, so there's kind of more of an autumnal sort of feel. The shadows are heavier and stuff like that. It really gives it that that very realistic feel, like a day has passed. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Chris, you mentioned the the I, I the dad and the little kid noticing that if you look on the dad's face, he looks terrified. Yeah, he looks like ugh. And then they talk about that you know earlier on, uh, Namor almost destroyed New York. And there's a flashback to that where he flooded New York in his uh, fight against humanity. And you have to figure that people are scared of Namor. Mm-hmm. And I figure that's what the dad is reacting to. The dad is like, <gasps> it's that guy that almost flooded New York. And the kid, of course, is just like, oh, wow, look at over there. But, I mean, it's it, – and I also sort of like – you mentioned that they make – that uh, Ordway made him more kind of realistic looking. But if you look in the flashback where you only see Namor from behind, his ears are way more pointed. Uh, and he looks a little more cartoonish just in that, just from behind the, the behind the headshot, which I kind of like because I think he's Namor. I mean, uh, Ordway is almost referring to what Namor looked like in the early days of his comic career, where he looked more less humanoid and much more cartoony. So I just, yeah, I mean, Ordway as always just brings it. I mean, he just does. Uh, the stuff is just beautiful, and it's sort of funny because I mean, it's like Captain America comes into the story 
later on around the, the 20, 25 pages or something. And Captain America is like Batman. When he enters the story, you kind of feel like the story's going to become him, about him. But he really stays in the background. I mean, he mostly just issues orders and gets clean up. But I kind of like that. I like that it stays on Namor. When it, I would imagine it would be tempting to give Captain America more to do because he's Captain America. Well, this that might be because this – can't really be Steve, Steve Rogers. Rogers, right? Yeah, this has to be, and I think Ordway draws him smaller. He's a little slighter looking than you would expect Captain America to be, and and, and smaller than he drew him in the Captain America and Invaders one shot that, that Ryan brought up recently. That Roy Thomas uh, wrote. This is actually the 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 third Captain America that was the Patriot Jeff Pace. And uh, Bucky's not the original Bucky either. He's Fred Davis Jr. So I have uh, no idea. Yeah, because no idea what I was. That was a thing in here. Yeah, because Cap Cap's on ice, and now, well, Bucky used to be dead, but now he's being brainwashed into the Winter Soldier right at this moment. So, yeah, I guess you're right. Is, yeah, the story's after the war. This is like forty-seven or forty-eight or something. And I didn't even think of that. Oh my god, I yep. did that. Never even occurred to me. But you're right. Captain America's already frozen in ice at this point. Yes. So oh man. Yeah. So I think that's one reason why Cap does take a little more of a backseat than he normally would if it was Steve. So yeah, and he looks. And smaller. he is smaller. He does look small. Oh my god. Oh, mind blown, Chris. I had no. <laughs> idea. You're right. But yeah, when I'm looking at him, you're right. He's. I mean, he's certainly built, but he's not like the big hunk of man like Captain America we typically see. So. Oh my God! I didn't even think of that. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's nice detail work on Ordway. Then <laughs> remembering to draw him slightly like that—that's great. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about nice detail work from Ordway? The page right before that, with the Wizard rescuing the people from the cyclone. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, it's it, your eye is drawn to the woman in the front who's looking right at you with this just like what had just happened, like this W T H uh, or W T F like look on her face. But how many times did he draw the wizard's body like at that super speed running up over this like um, this uh, uh, roller coaster ride and everything like that in different forms, different shapes, different angles, different positions of just like that running. That is an incredible amount of detail and work put into that page, that little panel there. Yeah. I yeah, love the, that. it's, it's old school, super speed, mm-hmm. you know, Carmine Infantino after images, there's no digital lightning. It's, it's, <laughs> they're doing it the hard way and it looks awesome. <laughs> and you know, I mean, of course, and Ordway inked this himself, so it's not even like as a penciler you could kind of just Greek in that roller coaster and be like, "Oh, let the inker finish it." No, he had to do it himself, so he created yeah. all this work all for himself. And like, wow, yeah, I didn't really think about that, but you're right. Yeah, it's a, it's it's wonderful. It's it's you know, it, it's it was sort of everything that I wanted from what it was when Alan described it to me, and it's everything from what I would have wanted from a Jerry Ordway drawn 1940s Marvel comic. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, again, it's great. It's got all the sort of interplot, but then it also has, you know, this rip roaring superhero adventure with this nice little ending. And I also like the fact that Miss America, a character that I am woke, completely unfamiliar with other than her existence, uh, kind of gets so much to do. I like that her and Betty become pals at this. That's a really nice ending. It's really sweet. And it's, it, it makes me kind of like want to see more of her because I think Alan Brenner made her kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I think, you know, this, you know, having the hook of it, this really being Betty's story is such a great nod to Marvel's, which, of course, was, right. you know, the the photographer Phil um, Sheldon, uh, you know, that was his story. So 
uh, yeah, it, I, you know, when I first started reading, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, this is, this is, we're going to focus on her. And I knew of Betty Dean. I mean, she's even mentioned in Marvels, uh, that she's like the person that calmed Namor down after he tried to you know, destroy New York. Cause I mean, that's, a, <laughs> that's actually a big part in like, I, I like the first or second issue of Marvels. I can't remember which one, but, uh, so yeah, it, it, it's like, oh, that's, this is a great, this is a great hook. And, and, uh, you know, yeah, I definitely, Oh, I would so buy a an all winner squad comic drawn by Jerry Ordway and and Alan Brennan. I'm sure Alan's too busy to write a regular monthly comic, but I, I mean, I would just I would so buy a monthly comic like this. Just yeah, sign me up right now, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that would get me into a local comic shop every week or every month. At that point, I go pretty irregularly just to pick some stuff up. But I would go. I would be like, yeah, I got to get this every month because it would be it, it was just great. Like, so it was. You know, it's just everything, like I said, it's everything that I sort of wanted it to be. It's a terrific uh, comic, and it's great that they were doing this, that they're doing these one-shots in commemoration of the Marvels. I wish DC would do this for Kingdom Come, maybe, or something like that. Uh, but I just think these are these are great. This is just a, a real, a real blast, and I just, I just loved it. And it was just so fun to be able to to you know, read now and Brenner comic again and read something drawn by, by Jerry Ordway. So... Uh, can we wrap it up here? Do you guys have anything else? Anything else you want to say about this comic? I, I just wanted to mention the one thing that I I do really appreciate that he picked Betty Dean as the focal point, um, or I guess it, it might have been Busiek's idea, uh, and kind of gave that to Brennan to write it. But I like her being the focus because. Uh, I mean, as Chris was alluding to, she was a big deal in in the Golden Age in terms of being a supporting character. I mean, she was the first human that Namor met that he befriended and didn't instantly try to kill. Uh, and they were they were sort of a love interest. But like, noticeably, she was a police officer when she first appeared. I mean, this is decades before Lady Cop. <laughs> um, like it was a big deal that she was a police officer and then because she was a cop and so was Jim Hammond, the human torch, she was instrumental in the first meeting of Namor in the human torch. Uh, and then she did go on some of those adventures and because of sort of gender politics, yeah, kind of like changing during, during the forties and everything, she stopped being a cop and then she became a reporter. Um, and, but then they, you know, she, she was tagging along with him for a lot of, a lot of his adventures and a lot of his missions. So she was kind of a, a really, really important character. And, uh, she, I mean, she's kind of been forgotten because she's, uh, she's trapped in this one particular era. She is necessarily dated and they're not doing a lot of past stories, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I just think it, it was really cool to kind of give her this voice, this particular story where she's dealing with the men in her life who are struggling with what they had to do during the war and she doesn't even realize how she's struggling too and that she needs help and she needs support kind of getting over the uh, traumatic events that she has witnessed too so I, I just think that was really good and and yeah it is a nice little poignant moment at the end when she can can talk about that with another woman too so yeah yeah i think it's just it's just really terrific so yep. chris is there anything else you wanted to say about it I just wouldn't Ryan was saying that it popped in my head that that Betty Dean is actually the the true uh, golden age uh, Peggy Carter. I mean, in a way, because mm-hmm. Pe- Peggy Carter's kind of a amalgamation of different characters and, and different iterations from really the Silver Age forward. Yeah. Uh, and and but Betty Dean was actually you look in a Golden Age comic. There she is. So mm-hmm. yeah. So you know we all love Peggy. So we all should love Betty Dean. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And the Disney Plus series, Betty Dean. Let's get it. Let's get it, Let's get <laughs> yeah. it going. Miss, Miss America and Betty Dean. Let's do it. 
so, all right, well, that's going to do it for our uh, review of this comic. Now, before we uh, get to the break, we do have to mention, of course, you can find back episodes of FW Presents over on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify and on Stitcher and on Apple Podcasts. If you want to support the network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards for different uh, levels of donations, uh, one of which is to be name-checked on the show of your choice. So we have to give special thanks to David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton for their support of the Fine Water Podcast Network. And then one last thing. Uh, if you liked this comic, but you can't quite get out to a comic store, we have a contest for you. I happen to notice today that over on Apple Podcasts, there is only nine reviews for FW Presents. Now, that isn't surprising because it's the anthology show, so it doesn't necessarily have the same audience uh, driven to maybe leave reviews. I don't think any of us, when we do these FW Presents, even ask for reviews because the show is the anthology show. And But one thing I was upset to notice is that there were some jerks out there that gave the show one star. So they're dragging our ratings down, and that made me very upset. I don't know who gave us the one-star reviews. It must I think they're reviews from another country because they were not U.S. reviews. But that, uh, that made me very upset. So uh, we're going to run a contest where uh, all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave FW Presents a five-star review. That is all you have to do. And if you do that... There will be – you will be entered in one – there will be one of three chances to win a copy of this comic, Marvel Snapshots number one. So however many reviews we – five-star reviews we get after this episode goes up, uh, I will pick three other reviews at random, and each person will be awarded a pristine mint copy of Marvel Snapshots number one. And that's not all. The book will be signed by Alan Brennert. Alan has agreed to sign the comics himself, so you will get an autographed copy of Marvel Snapshots number Marvel Snapshots number one, autographed by Alan Bernard. So please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave FW Presents a five star review. We would really appreciate it. And maybe the next time I do an FW Presents, I will read those reviews on the air as a follow up. So again, go over to F- go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. So uh, that is going to do it for now. We are going to take a break, and when we come back from the break. I will be joined by the man himself, Alan Brennert, for an interview where we did where we're talking about uh, his experiences writing this comic. So stay tuned, everybody. Alan Brennert is coming up. I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show... Make ours marvel. 
And we're back, and as promised, I am here with the writer of Marvel's Snapshot Submariner, Alan Brenner. Hi, Alan. Hi, Rob. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, same here. Uh, when we did our career retrospective, or your comics career, I should say, retrospective episode a couple of years ago, I, we sort of ended the episode wondering whether you would ever write another comic book, and you didn't rule it out, but it didn't seem like anything that was likely to happen, and, and now here we are. You've written a comic book again. Well, you know, all it takes is someone has to ask. <laughs> yeah, hey, everybody, you listening out there, you editors? It's just Alan's, Alan's phone works. You can call him. And, uh, you know, I mean, Kurt, Kurt Music and I have been friends for, you know, for years, and, uh, and he called up. And he told me uh, uh, about, about this series, Marvel Snapshot, and he said, you know, it could be, it could be anything. It could be, you know, Namor. You know, Betty Dean takes Namor to Palisades Amusement Park in 1946, and of course, he threw in Palisades Amusement Park because <laughs> I wrote a book, you know, called Palisades Park. Very smart of Kurt Busiek. Well, yes, he thought it would be an incentive, but I told him later, you had me at Betty Dean. <laughs> so I was ready to do it from that from that point on. And uh, um, uh, I, I, I probably agreed to it a lot faster than he thought. He thought I was going to turn him down. Um, uh, I, the, only, the only proviso I added, I said, was, I'll do it if I can throw in the all-winner squad. Uh, because I always loved the all-winner squad. And, um, and, uh, and he and Tom Brevoort said yes. And uh, we were off and running. Well, that, that leads me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because, of course, your comics career outside of co-writing that one Star Trek and then that one Daredevil uh, is all DC. And, of course, there's all these uh, comics from the 60s and 70s that have your letters in them are all DC comics. So, like, I don't – I mean, no. what, what, what's your familiarity with the Marvel comics characters? Uh, you're not looking hard enough, Rob. Oh, I, oh, had, no. uh, I had a lot of very embarrassing letters in Marvel comics. Oh, did you? Oh, um, okay. Yes. yes. And, in fact – um, um, uh, three of them uh, have been enshrined for all, for posterity in the uh, omnibus editions of uh, Captain America, uh, Silver Surfer, and uh, I think the other one is Hulk. I'm not sure, um, but I probably published I published more letters at these in DC than I did at Marvel. But I discovered Marvel Comics in '66. Uh, I, I just moved to a new town. You know, I went to the the little uh, uh, candy store, and they had a an issue of Marvel Superheroes Annual Number One, and uh, which kind of introduced me to this. Uh, and uh, I'd been familiar, sort of, I'd heard of Marvel before, but um, but this was the thing that got me got me hooked. And uh, so from that point on, I was reading Marvel as much as I was. DC professionally, you know, the reason that I wound up writing more for DC is I simply knew more people who worked at DC. Ah. Um, I uh, the only times, I mean, that Star Trek that you mentioned, I just gave a plot <clears throat> to Marty Pasco to write when he was working on the book. The second one, uh, the Daredevil, um, was really kind of serendipity. It was the issue after Frank Miller left, right. and uh, the way I heard it, nobody at Marvel wanted to write that issue. <laughs> um, so Denny O'Neill, who was the editor, um, he knew my Batman work, uh, stories and liked them, and he called me up and said, would you like to write this? And he didn't know that Daredevil was my favorite Marvel character. Actually, that Marvel superheroes thing reprinted the origin of Daredevil. Uh, so he has been one of my absolute favorites, and I said, sure. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I love what Frank Miller did on Daredevil, but I was not as intimidated as the people at, uh, at, at, uh, at Marvel seemed to be. 
and Danny was a great editor. Um, uh, I, I'm amazed that he asked me, considering that I had said some really nasty things about his Justice League stories and letter columns. <laughs> <laughs> but by God, he's a minch. And, um, and I had a lot of fun writing that. Uh, and Danny wanted me to do, do some more, but uh, I got busy with TV work, and it just didn't happen. And, and literally, no one at Marvel asked me until Kurt asked me last year. Amazing. Uh, that's absolutely me. Now, I'm assuming he is – did you have a relationship with him outside of comics before that? Did he know you, or was he kind of blind calling you? Oh, no. Kurt and I uh, knew each other. We, I, I, he sent me a fan letter, actually, way back when on my, my Daredevil story. So we, we had sort of been in touch um, uh, via letter and email over the years. I met him in person the first time. He came to my, uh, my signing for Molokai um, up in uh, Portland in uh, 2003 and this was the this was the the signing where the bookstore had to apologize and say the distributor didn't get in your book so we have no copies oh Um, so kurt showed up and we basically wound up talking comic books for an hour and a half um as one or two other people listened in (laughs) So, so we sort of bonded from that instance, and then, and I, you know, when he would come to visit LA, I'd get together with him for dinner, and you know, and uh, uh, with him and Len Wein, and uh, so, so we're 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 good friends. All right. So now you you said earlier, as soon as Kurt mentioned Betty Dean, you were in. Now, I mean, I, be, I happen to, I mean, I know that Betty Dean is a character from the golden age of Marvel Comics, but I mean, most people probably don't. So, what was it about that that was such a hook? Well, you know, I grew up reading the reprints of these uh, these characters in uh, fantasy masterpieces and um, 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 later Marvel superheroes. Uh, so I read all the Golden Age Marvel stuff. So I loved the Golden Age Marvel characters as as much as I did the the Golden Age DC characters. And and I loved what Roy Thomas had done, uh, where he brought her into the present day, and we saw the you know the age difference between them. You know, basically that sense of time passing, and. Um, that's the same thing I loved about Earth One and Earth Two. Um, it was being, was having having time passage on on Earth Two. Mm. So um, I was familiar with Betty Dean. I knew about her relationship with Namor. I knew, uh, and and I just thought this, there's a lot of of stuff to be mined there, and uh, uh, the relationship between them because she was uh, she was in love with him, and yet uh, he he went off and left her, and. Uh, um, you know, later on married Dorma, and that didn't end well. Um, but, you know, I knew all this continuity stuff. Uh, I, I didn't realize just how much continuity there was because I spent a lot of time at the, on the Marvel database re- reading descriptions of literally every Submariner story up to about 1946. Hmm. But I had already read these in the uh, either in fantasy masterpieces or in the Marvel Masterworks. Uh, I've got all the Marvel Masterworks, uh, Golden Age ones. So I've, I've I've read all the Submariner stories. I've read all the Human Torch stories. I know I knew all these characters, and I never thought I would ever have a chance to write them. So so I was just as giddy as as a, as a kid. <laughs> a couple of uh, well, I think last year we did an episode on the network where we re- we went re- reread the first issue of Marvel Comics, the very first Marvel comic from 1939. And there's a Submariner story in there. I, we, were, we were all a little shocked about how upfront Namor was about how much he hates everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's a panel in that story where he literally talks about bringing death to the white man. And I was like, <laughs> wow, you know, I mean, they, good luck publishing that nowadays. And 
I, one of the things I enjoyed in this story that you wrote is that they, you really lean in on how out of control Namor is once he is once he's got his ire up. I mean, he's nice and he's all domesticated with Betty when he picks her up at the date and they go and they're walking around. But then when he gets when he gets mad, I mean, it's literally like the Hulk. I mean, he's just that out of control. And I really enjoyed the idea that he's kind of like a he's like a nuclear bomb. Like he can't really play with this guy because he's just going to destroy everything if he gets out of control. Well, like like uh, the Human Torch says to Taro, uh, you know, uh, Namor is, uh, is is the landmine you never see until it goes off. Yeah, yeah, and I really enjoyed that, and and I thought of all the characters in the Marvel universe for you to give PTSD to, Namor is the most unlikely because uh, he just seems like that's not a guy that 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 has an inner monologue in some ways, and yet yet here he is really dealing with these very thorny issues. I thought that was great. Well, I did not give him PTSD. Um, I, I had, had been reading the current Invaders series, the present-day Invaders series, and they gave him PTSD in that. Um, I could see it coming on in, like, the first issue or so. It, he, he had this friend uh, who died on the battlefield. He was very close to him, and he really, you know, uh, uh, he was very shaken by that. And there's some wonderful scenes between him and, him and Cap talking about, uh, about that. So they, they had already established that. So I simply thought, uh, and it wasn't an immediate thought. I actually agreed to do the story thinking, okay, I want to do some stuff about, about the relationship that Betty has with Namor. And then I, 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 I looked at this uh, issue of uh, the new invaders, and I thought, well, maybe this would, this would be a, a good time for him to experience his first instance of PTSD. And, and, and I suggested it, and Tom Brevoort said, well, sure. He says, as long as, you know, it doesn't get cured or anything, because it's got to you know, last 80 right. years. Uh, so that's what I did. And, and, th- and from there, it became about something bigger. Um, uh, I, I believe that uh, Kirk was the one who suggested, you know, why don't we use this framing device of uh, uh, Betty's brothers because he you know there really was there really was a story where they were imprisoned on wake island the three brothers and namor and betty go to rescue them um and so those were great characters that had been you know i mean they were in one story and so so we could we could do anything we wanted to with them and uh and it turned out to be a story about soldiers coming back from war and you know namor was just a super soldier who came back from war but he could he could have ptsd just like just like anybody anybody else who has who has feelings and uh, uh, as much as he might try to repress them <laughs> and and, uh, and 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 fond uh, you know uh, relationships with people who get killed. Right, and of course, uh, referencing to what Tom Brevoort said, it would be it would not be a very bright idea to have somebody get quote unquote cured of PTSD in one story. That's not the way that works. Well and that's that's you know, exactly. And it works perfectly for Namor because the minute that Betty suggests he, he see a shrink, you know, he's like, Doctor, I don't need a doctor and mm-hmm. you know, he flies he flies off. But and the other thing that played well into this, and I have to give credit to this to uh, Scott uh, Scott Lobdell or Lobdell, he wrote us uh, a Namor the Submariner annual in uh, nineteen ninety one that featured a flashback to the invaders liberating a, um, uh, a concentration camp in Germany. Mm. And Namor flips out. All that stuff in here about him wanting to kill all the Nazi guards until Cap talks, talks him out of it, that was taken from Scott's story. Uh, and, and I literally, up until I reached that point in the Marvel database, I thought I would have to in, just 
you know, put them into a into a real concentration camp uh, that I would have to invent something. And then along came this this fictional one, Bitburg, and it was it was pretty graphic. I mean, uh, I added the stuff in the ovens, but but that mass grave was just a, a masterful you know piece of artwork. Uh, and and Scott did a really good job, uh, you know, with the uh, with the script. So it was just it was ready made. You know, uh, and 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 it, may, it gave it gave his PTSD something, you know, a little bit more than just his friend was lost. I mean, he saw this and he thought, "My God, you know, how could humans do this to one another?" Uh, it was even beyond his imagining. Now, you have not written a comic book in twenty years. Your last credit is the Batman Gotham Night story you did with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and. Uh, what was it like getting back into that mode? I mean, you've been writing novels for for all this time. I mean, was it when you first sit down? Is it easy? Is it was it did, was it kind of like just getting right back into it into that gear? What what was that process like? Well, it, it was it was it was fun. Uh, I mean, I, I was I worked out the story with um, you know with with Kurt. I would I would write an outline and he would kind of give me notes and we'd go back and forth and um, so that that part of it was a lot of a lot of fun. Um, and then when I started for the script, it really I was so energized that I was uh, I was writing like five script pages a day. Uh, I, I, because it, it's writing these big historical novels, you know, is, is rewarding, but at the same time, I kind of miss writing TV scripts. I used to be able to write a novel and then immediately go into a TV script. And it was like maybe a month, you know, you spend working on the TV script and then boom, it's over and you're done and you watch it and you see it on the screen. Uh, and this was a little bit like that for me. It was like taking a breath, you know, between novels and something that took me, you know, about a month to, to work, you know, from, from the first phone call to the finished, uh, the finished script. Um, and I've been reading comics, you know, uh, in the last 20 years. So I, I knew perfectly well that, that, you know, writing, for comics was a little different now. It was there were big, there are there bigger panels. There are fewer panels per page. You know, there's fewer balloons per panel. You know, there's 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 more of that uh, um, um, compressed time compressed uh, storytelling. Or uh, and 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 you know, I had 30 pages to work with, so I had a little bit more room, uh, which helped a lot. But uh, but once I got into it and and kind of got found the, the you know the rhythms, uh, it uh, it really was uh, like falling back into into uh, something that I've been doing all my life. <laughs> well, that's that's good to hear. How did you mention the artwork? And we have at this point in the show we haven't talked about Jerry Ordway yet. I mean, you I, I will tell everybody. Uh, Alan first mentioned this project to me when we when I was out there in California in June, and then you did the delight in your face when you laid on me who was drawing this because it was like this drum roll you were like guess who's drawing it like, yeah jerry ordway and i was like literally the perfect person for this story for something said in the 1940s featuring these characters i mean how did you, where did jerry get involved in this process uh kurt uh, was the one who 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 assigned it to him he ran it past me too and i said great you know i'd, I'd love yeah. to work with jerry jerry and i almost worked together on the uh the top ten, the sequel to Top Ten that I was going to do back in uh, in the early 2000s, but uh, which never saw the light of day. Uh, and uh, so I was, I, I, I was, I was happy to be working with him. And then when the pencils started coming in, they were oh. just gorgeous, gorgeous. And I, uh, I specifically, I wrote that one. 
splash page of the All Winners Squad, you know, just because I wanted to splash to see a splash page of the All Winners Squad, you know, and and it and Jerry did such a fantastic job with that, and at the same time, you know, I mean, he's very very good on of of. Uh, you know, bringing out the emotion in the characters, you know, in their in their faces, in their body language, and and this is a very emotional story. So uh, that was lovely, and and the amount of research he does. I I offered to send him some research on Palisades Park. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, he he had some that he basically he had just done a Captain America invader story uh, that he did with Roy Thomas. So he's he, he had all of his World War II reference already out. So um, uh, he, he's very good at the period stuff. Uh, Kirk really loves, and I love it too. The very last panel, which is a gorgeous picture of like a New York City brownstone circa 1940. I mean, it's just incredibly period and incredibly accurate, and it really, it really evokes the, uh, you know, the time. Um, so uh, I, I provided him with some stuff on Palisades. Uh, he ordered the Palisades Park um, reference book that my friend Vince Gargiulo had, uh, had, had done. And that splash page, you know, on uh, the page four uh, was amazing. I mean, I mean, it was Palisades Park, and down to the tiniest little details. I mean, I, I looked at the when, when I first, you know, uh, uh, when he first got the, the assignment, I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's going to hate me once he starts seeing all of this <laughs> reference. <laughs> but he is—he's like George Perez in that he just—he does everything, you know, no matter how many characters, no matter how many, uh, 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 you know, locations and uh, details you throw at him, you know, he does it. He handles it, and, and he does a, a fabulous job. So I, I, I could not have been happier with, uh, with the art, and, uh, uh, and he did it in a really, I mean, a very expeditious amount of, uh, amount of time, too. Yeah, it's it really is remarkable. Uh, I mean, I I can't think of a single bad art job I've ever seen him do. Like every time he draws something, like yeah, it just looks fantastic, and this just looks so gorgeous. It's colored beautifully. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it just really does look look amazing. Did you have any direct interaction with him making, or did you just send in the script and then the pages would come back from him? We exchanged emails, and uh, there were points I I knew he was when I started writing the script. I knew he was assigned to it, so I was I felt comfortable because I knew his his abilities to be able to say like in the grocery pitch game. Okay, I'm going to leave you to to just pace this. You know, just just uh, here's what happens, and do it in however many panels you know, and in whatever you know uh, uh, way you want to do it. Uh, and and so that I could I could I could do that. So it was a little bit. A little bit of working Marvel method, uh, but um, he and I were in communication, but we didn't actually talk on the phone. But we did ex- exchange a lot of a lot of e- chatty emails. He manages to make the shark Verrill costume not look completely ridiculous because I mean, it's a guy. Yeah. it's a guy in armor with a shark head, which you know, drawn by somebody else might look just like all right, that's ridiculous. But there's something so weird and discordant about this this. Darth Vader type metal suit with a big shark head that is sort of just terrifying because you're like this doesn't look what is this uh, it's well, just really it, you know, weird it was, it, it's meant to be a little bit ridiculous because Miss America when you know when when Betty fills her in she says you know I'd like to say that's the craziest thing I've ever heard <laughs> since getting into this business but sadly it's not <laughs> 
And believe me, I have read Miss America stories, and she's telling the truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. You mentioned the, the pacing, and there was something else I wanted to ask about in terms of letting Jerry pace these things or how you decide to let him pace it because th- there's a couple of moments in this comic that really make me laugh. Uh, one of them is where Miss America dumps Shark into the water, mm-hmm. and she's all proud of herself. And she's there you go, Namor. He'll be waterlogged in that suit. He won't be able to put up much of a fight. And then Namor's like, he calls himself the Shark. And then she's like, oh. And then he dives away. And, mm-hmm. like, I mean, when you write that, is, your, is that the same thing? You're letting Jerry pace that? Because there's something wonderful about the way he holds the shot. Miss America is in the same location, all three panels. And it's very office-like, where there's this kind of hold of, like, he calls himself the shark. And it, oh, and it, it's, well, it makes it, it really works. Well, thank you. In, in that instance, that is, was in my script. Okay. <laughs> I, did, I did want to, want him to hold the, you know, her, the position and, just, and then just do the O. Um, <laughs> the look on her face the, is great. <laughs> yeah, the look on her face is great. And, um, uh, you know, there were, there were a few other places like that where he sort of, you know, he, he you know, he, he did. He 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 he. The rhythm of it is Jerry's rather than than my script. But you know, I can't go on at the moment and think what what they, they all were. But uh, but he was somebody that I could have utter confidence in, uh, knowing that that whatever he did, it would work great. What about? I mean, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. Like when? At what point did you decide that it would focus on? Namor. I mean, you're saying you wanted the all-winner squad, but of course, if you got the all-winner squad, you could have made this a Captain America story, a Human Torch story. I mean, what was it about Namor that made you want to make him the, the focus? Well, Betty's really the focus, but it, Namor to be the, the marquee character here. Well, it was, you know, the the way that I mean, this is this is a Marvel's, you know, plural story. So right. it has to be a bit from the viewpoint of of an ordinary person. Now, Betty is a little bit more than ordinary, you know, because she right. hangs around Namor, <clears throat> so she's seen a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, but we 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 use that to our advantage that she had seen a lot of stuff, and she was denying, you know, just how much stress she'd been under all these all these years, and. Um, so if you're going to use Betty Dean, it's got to be Namor, uh, and and we always from the get go it was it was intended to be primarily Betty and Namor, um, and the all winner squad was you know thrown in you know as a guest star, but 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 it works you know part of the reason that that uh, uh, it, it it works so well is because of the last scene or the next to the last scene with uh, with with Madeline you know in the bar talking to um, uh, to Betty uh, you know and and I, I knew from this from the minute I suggested that I wanted some kind of a connection between Betty and and Madeline because um, uh, I, li- I I just like the idea that it that 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 these relationships exist. Uh, we may not have seen them in the original comics, but but they you know we're telling you now that they exist, and um, uh, and this is basically the point at which she uh, she becomes a friend and confidant with uh, with Madeline. Now I have I've read virtually no Miss America comics. Uh, was there much characterization to kind of go on, or were you able to kind of build that? Make her however you wanted her to make her, because she was mostly just kind of a, a more stock superhero character. I'm just really not familiar with the character outside of the fact that she exists. Uh, I've read I've read the Miss America stories that have been reprinted in the Masterworks, and uh, there's not too much in the way of characterization. There are some <clears throat> really outlandish villains, um, <laughs> but the story that I actually used as a template for for Miss America was a story that uh, Carl Kiesel wrote. 
Uh, it was an all-winners special that was published for the 70th uh, Marvel anniversary, and it was uh, uh, it was the all-winners squad. And uh, uh, the way he wrote, he gave real personalities to Miss America and to the Wizard. And uh, uh, so I I just followed that. I really loved what he did because a lot of it was very humorous. Miss America got some great lines, you know, in that story. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll I'm I'm happy to do the same. So I sort of followed the speech, you know, patterns, the rhythms that that Carl established for both um, um, uh, Miss America and and Wizard. Uh, So I, I have to give him props for that. Did you ever see the film uh, The Best Years of Our Lives? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wonderful film. I mean, this film, th- this this comic reminds me of that a little bit because it just had the best years of our lives for anyone who doesn't know. It was made in 1946, which is when this story takes place. And it's about three veterans returning back from World War II and each of them face uh, their individual, uh, you know, sort of problems about dealing, going back after having fought in the war. And they, they lead three very separate, very different lives. One person's kind of very upper middle class. Another person is kind of working class. And then you've got another guy who has been gravely injured and they, it's it's a bracingly honest film uh, mm-hmm. for for 1946. Mm-hmm. You just don't really expect something to be as sort of direct um, about the problems that uh, veterans were dealing with in 1946. It's just really of a gut punch of a movie in a great way. And this, this reminds me of that a lot, especially the scenes with, as you mentioned, Madeline and Betty, where they're talking about so openly about, hey, it's okay to have to be able to talk about these things. And then especially you've got the brother Lloyd, who's an alcoholic, uh, and then he gets help. He talks about that he's getting help at the end. I mean, it really reminded me of that. And of course, you've got, as you mentioned, all the period flavor from Jerry, all the little bits and pieces of, of th- this world looks very lived in. Uh, mm-hmm. this, these look like real locations when they go to the tavern. And of course, you already mentioned Palisades Park, but it just has that feeling to it. And the, the, again, the coloring is very warm. So it, it, it has that feel to it. And I really enjoyed that part of it is that you have these characters kind of talking in ways that the certainly would not have read in a comic book in 1946 but of course this is what these people had to deal with because they're they're coming from the most traumatic experience of their life exactly and and that's what i like doing this i like going back to those golden age locations and then saying okay so this is you may have thought that this was all you know all that 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 these characters were going through but but actually you know they're real you know to me they're real people you know and i try to write them as real people i mean to a degree i, I mean it's the same thing i do in my historical novels i try to find you know uh, um, uh you know y- you know unique takes on 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 bits of history and and one of the things that we we seem to forget is everybody thinks that you know people were different back then no people are the same people have been the same for for hundreds of years uh the World War II veterans, they had PTSD. That wasn't called it then. Right. Called it then, but they, it, it was called, you know, combat fatigue. It was called shell shock. Shell shock, people right. Were, people were aware of it. Um, but most of the World War II veterans, they didn't want to talk about what they had seen. And really it hasn't been until like the last 20 years that a lot of them have opened up about the, you know, the traumas that they, that they witnessed, uh, went through uh, over there. And, uh, and so I actually thought it was a really, a really good idea of the, uh, 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 of the team that's, that's doing the current invaders to, to sort of bring that into it um, and make that a part of, of Damore's backstory. Uh, and, and I really, uh, I thought, okay, this just feels, it feels very natural. So, 
you know, it, it's, um, uh, it, it was a very satisfying story for me to write because it was on one level a lot of fun. I mean, it's a guy in a shark suit, for God's sake. <laughs> um, and it's, it's Palisades Park, and it's the, it's the fucking all-winner squad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, the, the story of the, it's a story about servicemen coming back from, from, from a war. And, uh, and that part of it uh, I wanted to feel very real. And, and both, both Jerry and the colorist did a great job in, in making that part of it real. Because if you notice, the, the, the scenes in Palisades, they're all bright primary colors. Yeah. The wrapping, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the wraparound is very subdued. You know, very, you know, kind of almost a, a sepia or period kind mm-hmm. of flavor yep. to them. Yep. It's very real world, and uh, and 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 so uh, uh, the, the coloring really enhanced this and uh, enhanced Jerry's artwork. So I I count myself a very lucky lucky writer. I also had the the great experience in this I've never had before in comic books. Kirk is so open about including the writers in the experience that he said, okay, you're going to do the balloon placement on this. And I was like, what? (laughs) I've never done balloon placement before. (laughs) I said, can can, can you walk me through it? So we sort of walked walked through it for, you know, uh, an hour or two. And then I spent the next, uh, you know, like 11 hours straight uh, uh, doing a lettering guide and you know, drawing really sucky word balloons on staff of beautiful artwork. <laughs> I mean, oh man, I was I was like, oh, I haven't drawn since I was twelve, and I haven't gotten any better. Um, so, so I, I really can say that that I learned more from this story than uh, uh, about the the production aspect of, uh, of of comics that I didn't, and and it tightened the script up in the process. Kurt had great suggestions for trimming a little bit of dialogue here, for moving a balloon here, uh, that I would not have thought of because I haven't been doing this for, you know, all my professional life the way he has. Right. Well, I mean, he's a writer himself, and then becoming an editor, he's got that, you know, he's be able to see it from, from both points of view. That's really interesting. I didn't know that you were, you were involved in that process. I, I was surprised to find myself. Um, I, I had to actually... <laughs> There was, there was a, a hilarious moment in, in retrospect here where I, um, uh, I had to uh, uh, scan the, the, uh, the, the, the balloons. I mean, you know, I had, I, had, I had 30 pages of stats on which I'd placed the balloons, uh, and I had to get that to Marvel. My scanner broke down. I, I, I searched in Malibu for like the only, I found the one place in Malibu that did it, and it couldn't do it in color. I said, well, no, it has to be in color. And then she looked at me and said, well, I know, I know, we can, I can scan them as photos. Uh, so so it, it took like, like 45 minutes or something, and, I'm, and I'm, I get a call from Kurt, and he says, oh, you could have just taken pictures of it with your phone. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of wacky, but kind of fun. All right. Well, now that now that you've completed this and the book is out, it's available. It's available digitally. You can get it in, in comic stores. I mean, what are there other Marvel characters you would like to write? I mean, if many Marvel editors are listening, they could just give you a call. I mean, who? What else would you like to tackle? 
You know, I, I've, I've talked to Tom Gervort about this. He's, he's quite open to me doing, you know, uh, doing stuff. Uh, yes. he, I think he's talked to other, other editors. Um, uh, I think it's going to be up to me to maybe come up with a couple of suggestions. I, I do love the Golden Age characters, uh, uh, and, and not just Golden Age, but just I, 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 love, the character, I love characters like uh, uh, Agents of Atlas, uh, Mystery Men uh, that uh, David Liss wrote, uh, because they're sort of like interesting little corners of the Marvel Universe. Uh, the, uh, you know, it's sort of the same reason that I love the, uh, uh, the Marvel Netflix shows, you know, is that these were street-level, you know, heroes. And, uh, and, and they, they aren't heroes that were so well-known, you know, largely that, you know, to a film audience, so that they could really fill in some of the, some of the, uh, uh, the, the gaps there. And uh, so I've, I've, you know, I would love to do more stuff for Marvel. I, uh, uh, I'd love to do another Daredevil uh, story. Uh, I, I've, I've got affection for a lot of Marvel characters. And once I, I've, I've just been, you know, handed in a proposal for my, uh, my next novel. Uh, so I've got that out of the way. So now I'm going to, you know, uh, be thinking a little bit more about what, what I might want to do for, uh, for another comic. Oh, that, that's outstanding. Everybody, you're, you're listening to this. Make this book a hit. May ever go out and buy this book and make it a hit, and so therefore Marvel hires Alan to do lots more stuff because this is very exciting. Like I said at the top of the show, when we talked last, you know, you had no real idea that you would ever go back to a comic book just because there was nothing on the table. And now here it is. And not only that, it's it's just tremendous. I mean, when I read it, um, it was everything that I sort of expected from you in a way in, in that it's like it's got all the superhero fun and all the great character beats and it's got some funny jokes but it also has that that interplot going on i mean all of your comic book stories are about something else other than the action they are mm-hmm. about fear of aging or uh, you know feeling uh, that you're you're lost in time or uh, and this this has that too and that's what i appreciated from it and so it was so it was just so great. I mean, I've been I've been reading your books and and I and I love them, but I I've just been so, I was just so excited that this thing exists and it's out there again, and I'm so glad that uh, I said I hope it's a hit, and I hope I'm glad you enjoyed the process, and I hope that there's more to come. Well, thank you. I I I felt very gratified because I I did appreciate. I liked the opportunity to show that uh, you know I can still write the superhero stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's it's been 20 years since the last one, but I haven't forgotten. <laughs> Palisades has a ride, Palisades has a fun. Come on over, shows and dancing are free, so the parking's so gee. Come on over, Palisades from coast to coast, where a dime buys the most. Palisades amusement park swings all day and after dark. Ride the coaster, get cool in the waves, in the pool you'll have fun. So come on over. 